Guys, welcome to the show. Uh, before we get started this morning, I want to thank you guys specifically for your loyal support of this podcast. I know it's uh, we're running into tough times right now. Everybody is uh, staying home and following the CDC guidelines, which is good. Um, we just got to do this uh, for a little bit longer and, and st- uh, help uh, stop the spread of this virus. And I know it's getting hard, but let's just stay strong and keep following the guidelines. It's going to be best for everybody. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider. Guys, we're right in application season. If you want to sign up for Insider, which I highly recommend you do, go to GoHunt.com forward slash J Scott. You're going to get a $50 GoHunt gear shop gift card just for signing up. I also want to thank GoHunt, the optics department, Cody Nelson, my friend of 20 plus years. He's the optics manager. If you guys are looking to buy any optics at all, give Cody a call, 702-847-8747. You can also text him or call him on his cell, 602-399-3699. I want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu is the gear that I wear on all of my hunts. Uh, I routinely, weekly do, bi-weekly actually, question and answer on my Instagram. I answer a lot of Kuyu questions. Uh, Go to Kuyu.com to order uh, all of the great ultralight hunting products. That's K-U-I-U.com. I I also want to thank Phonescope.com. Use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, OnxMaps.com. Uh, use the JScott20 promo code. You're going to get a 20% discount there at Onyx Maps. And then Apex Ammunition. Go to apexmunition.com and you can find out all about and order the TSS, the Tungsten Super Shot, uh, which is the shotgun shells that I'm going to be using on my upcoming turkey hunts here this spring. Thanks to TSS. Uh, the TSS, a great dense pattern. Uh, we're actually shooting seven, eight, nine shot, uh, so much smaller uh, shot sizes. Uh, great dense patterns, and um, guys are having huge success. I can't wait to uh, use it this spring. I want to thank Apex for their sponsorship. Uh, guys, I know this is tough times. Again, let's just all stay together. Let's follow the guidelines, and we're going to get through this. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we're going to be talking Colorado with my friend Connor Clark out of Gunnison, Colorado of Trader's Rendezvous. Also, Colorado Antlers on Instagram. Connor, how you doing? Good, Jay. How are you? Good. You know, the last time I saw you was um, I could easily say that I'd never flipped a raft before, and then um, the next time I see you, I'll say, well, this is post-raft flipping i uh yeah <laughs> connor saved me uh on the gunnison last year my friend uh mj mastelier and monty parsons we drove over and uh the green drakes were hatching i had a couple buddies tell me the green drakes were hatching over there and so we we went over there and and we put in at Allmont and floated down we were going to go down through the water park and i'd never floated that section and um, I ended up having to call. We had stopped in at Trader's Rendezvous right there on, on the main street there in Gunnison and, and saw uh, Connor and his dad. And, and it had been a couple of years since I'd been in Trader's Rendezvous there on the, on, you know, on, in Gunnison on that main street. And stopped in there and saw a bunch of antlers and a bunch of cool stuff in the shop and had a good conversation and grabbed a little breakfast. And we headed to the river. And the next thing I know, I'm calling Connor going, I just flipped the boat. Do you have anybody that can come help us out here? And Connor had guys out there within 30 minutes uh, to retrieve the boat. So thank you, buddy. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad everybody was okay. But I, I got to ask the wallet. That's a, that's a no-go. That never showed back up. Uh, not only the wallet, but uh, neither one of the fly rods or the oars or the Yeti cooler uh-huh. or, or probably five to $10,000 worth of flies. I had just um, loaded up my big fishing bag with every one of my boxes. And not only uh-huh. that, I had just filled every box for the season because, you know, it was kind of kicking off, you know, last year with the the um, late snow melt and stuff. It was kind of a late year, so I had just restocked like all my all my grasshoppers, all my salmon flies, all my green drakes, like all my dry flies, everything. And I lost uh. literally everything. Was clo- it looked like a Cabela's plane had crashed and ended up probably <laughs> down in Blue Mesa Reservoir. 
Well, yeah. Good news is it's just stuff. Uh, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad you guys made that okay because it was it was a late year. That runoff was still pretty high when you. Got, I mean, what were you guys here? June, July. It seems like that was around uh, beginning of July. I'd have to look back at my notes, but you know, it was such a late runoff year. You know, oh, yeah. we actually from from Almont down to Gunnison. You know, just there was it, the water was still flowing way too fast to really have those pockets open up nice from the boat and um, yeah, you know we had just the, the drakes actually just started coming off kind of down by the bridge uh, right before the water park just above there and um, everything was going fine and and for the listeners out there so I row a 13 foot star inflatable raft and I've been rowing since 2010 and you know I do the Gunnison Gorge every year and I do a lot of different um, places I mean I wouldn't say I'm I would say I'm very capable. I'm very capable. That, that you know, no more than that, but very, very capable uh, behind the oars. And I've never flipped. And all my buddies, guide buddies, are like, "Well, it's not a matter of you know if you flipped. It's just a matter of when you'll flip." And you know, I've kind of always laughed, like, "Ha ha! I hope it doesn't happen." And so we come row. We row under the bridge, and everything's fine. I mean, my guys are literally fishing. And um, come into that first, there's like a slick, and it kind of drops down. And yep. it, it, it all boils down side. to just, yeah, and, I, you know, I just took the main chute and was, you know, my guy, I got MJ on the front. He's casting, literally, like, no care in the world. Um, and we come down that first slick, and about halfway down, I realized, oh, crap, this is one I need to be, like, rowing and powering into. Uh-huh. It was too late. We pull up, we, we come down and hit the first wave, the big wave at the bottom, and we just it we go up onto the wave and we're just sitting there and it felt like you know 30 seconds but it was probably two uh-huh. and at the, at the point when i realized when i was forward rowing trying to push through it when i felt the boat just were were cresting if you will if the listeners were cresting up on a wave and i felt the back end of the boat just start to go backwards, which means you're going to, the back of the boat is now going to hit the water, the slick water that's coming, you know, fast, creating, mm-hmm. it's a man-made wave, they make it, it's a wave park, and um, the back of the boat hit that water coming in, and we flipped so fast, I, I, I mean, I didn't even have time to tell the guys we're going over, like, it was, we're in the water, and then, you know, I pop up, and I look up, and my guys are swimming, so I know, okay, that's good. And yep, um, the, the rest is history. <laughs> Jeez, hey, well, if it makes you feel any better, I uh, flipped my wife on that same rapid in a ducky, like an inflatable kayak on, like, our third date. So I know and how she, you feel. And she still said yes. And you guys just yep, had a baby, exactly. so I guess not all is lost, right? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. it, it was kind of crazy because um, that the rafting company that, it came out. He said there had been seven boats on that exact wave that had already flipped that week, and I was just like, okay, I don't feel quite as bad now. Yeah, um, no, I mean, that's one of those ones where if you don't know, you know, you don't know to power through that one, and it will suck you back in. And the next two, you know, you can kind of just ride it out, but that first one, you got to kind of stay to the right and really, really get down, like, under that bridge and start heading for it. But, yeah, I mean, it, yeah. there's no way to know until you get into it. Yeah, so I got a good yeah, lesson there, and, and uh, yeah, and, and to be honest, of all the places to flip a raft, it's probably the best place. I mean, we were oh, able yeah. to get to it. I mean, it wasn't like it was in the Gunnison Gorge, and uh, you know, like you said, you live around it. You're born and raised in Gunnison. People, you know, they drowned every year, and it's something yeah. we kind of laugh about flipping the boat, but it's no laughing matter. Like people die, no. and and it's one of those things that uh, hopefully it'll be another 10 years before I flip again. Um, yep. But, uh, yeah, so that was the last time I saw you. Today I want to talk about uh, the Colorado hunting uh, applications. I believe we have a deadline coming up here on April 7th. And yep. I want to talk to you, you know, you and your dad, you've been such a a fixture there in Gunnison in the Gunnison Basin, and I thought this would be a good time to get a good feel of what what's going on in the Gunnison Basin. So, Connor, we're sitting here uh, with the April seventh deadline uh, staring us in the face. What are conditions uh, right now compared to historical averages there in the Gunnison Basin? 
Um, I'd say animals are looking really healthy, um, really good. This is a winter that I would consider average. Um, we haven't had an average winter in a while, um, but by this time of year, you should have snow on the north side. Um, south side should be bared off on the valley floor. Um, but the last few years, you know, last year you talked about the late runoff on your fishing trip, and we got snow on June 23rd, which is my wife and I's anniversary last year. So it was really heavy winter last year, drought before that, um, and another heavy winter before that. Um, so we're we're thinking that this is going to hold some promise um, the, with the animals looking really healthy. So I'm I'm hoping that. You know, we we didn't take too many out um, on the highways last year and hunting seasons and, you know, increasing the tag. But overall, I'd say that health of all the populations, they, they look really good. One of the big things that's going on, and we're just going to dive right into it, go for the juggler here. Um, one of the things that's going on in Colorado right now is the DOW um, has announced, obviously, with the regulations, the season dates, and, you know, this year as well as next year, with next year being the 2021 dates for the mule deer, the third and fourth seasons are really, really late. Um, I know that they were, they were kind of starting to talk about that, I believe, when I was in your shop last July, uh, when I saw you, they were proposing these late dates. Um, and there's two sides to the story, but explain to me from your perspective, growing up in the Gunnison Basin, what those late season dates mean to mature deer, in your opinion. Um, I, I listened to your podcast with, with Brady, you know, and he, he wasn't sure that it would be necessarily a bloodbath. Um, in my opinion, I think it's going to be. Um, I, I really do. He was, he was talking about, you know, that that one buck that he was chasing and he was a ghost all third and fourth. And then as soon as fourth ended, he showed up like clockwork. In my opinion, that's a buck that should survive. Um, you know, if they're going to make it through archery, muzzleloader, second season, third season, and fourth season, at the dates they are now, they should be able to survive and reproduce for the next year if they're that smart. Um, so it's a, it's a big bummer for me. Um, it's, I'm trying to get in while the getting's good because I don't. This is not a sustainable hunt. Um, I think the later you push the dates, the more deer are going to get killed, the more mature bucks are going to get killed, um, and I, I really think that it will it will be a detriment to the Gunnison Valley. Um, well, well, let's that, back up. Uh, let's back up for just a second. You're saying it's it's um, you know a detriment. The reality is it's the number of tags. It's not as much the season dates. Yes, we will stipulate that the season dates uh, are late and deer are going to be on winter range. They're going to be way more visible, and a lot of the mature bucks are going to get shot because they're basically out in the open, right? But yep. the reality is it's more about that the, the, the numbers didn't come down. So you're are you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what I hear you saying is you're more upset about the fact that the numbers stay the same as far as high numbers, but they also move the dates where they're going to be sitting ducks. Would you have been okay with the later dates if they cut the numbers way back? So it actually makes the hunting unbelievable, but we're going to cut the numbers way back because we don't want to wipe out our mature bucks. Yeah, I mean, that that would be great. I know there's, we're, the Gunnison Valley, the, the hunters of the Gunnison Valley are very outspoken. Um, you know, we, we make it a point to make our point heard. And um, so we have had conversations with the Division of Wildlife on, hey, we got to cut tags. This is, this is no way to sustain this, you know. And it's, I think we're in a point now where we're, we're getting a better relationship with our local office. Um, and I know they've got, they've got a lot of different pressures, you know, with, with parks coming into the whole picture and, and all of these people that, you know, please in Denver, they've got their own bosses. Um, but I, we're really pushing them to be defiant in the fact that we need to protect the resource that we have. Um, and in my opinion, that's, that's not protecting the resource. And the, the thing about Colorado is it's a very, very diverse state um, as far as terrain and climate goes. So, you know, these later season dates aren't going to affect those desert hunts as much as they will these hunts because it's, it's the Gunnison Basin. They can only go so far until they hit the valley floor, you know. So I think 
I think it's really going to hurt places like that, um, the Kremlin region, the Eagle region, um, just because those, those deer, they, they will come down um, and that they're going to be pretty easy to locate. So it's kind of hard to justify blanketing, you know, the whole state with that season structure when Gunnison and Eagle, they should have a different season structure, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I mean, I think you make you make several good points there. One of them is you live in a diverse state. You talk about the terrain and the topography and the animals, but people, too. I mean, you've got both sides of the spectrum. I mean, you have yeah. as far left and as far right as you can get, and there's a collision there. And it seems like a lot of the decisions, unfortunately, in Colorado, you know, I'm only there half the year. I have a second home there, but... Um, you know, it's that the unfortunate part is it seems like the decisions get made by people that live in the t two biggest cities in Colorado, and yes. that doesn't really necessarily have anything to do with the game and fish, but they're influenced by that. And so, and, what's and unfortunate is that you know the situation where Eagle County, you've got the Gunnison Basin, you've got some of these places where. Having a seasons or having season dates just set, and this is what they are, you make a good point that it may be great for the deserts um, or the plains out here, but right here in this bay doesn't match. So, you know, I'm sure the, the DOW guys, you know, I'm sure that they felt the pressure from the locals because from my perspective, being a non-resident, like, oh, it's great for me, I'm going to show up and, you know, I've been putting in for however many years and I'm going to show up on my third or fourth season and have a phenomenal hunt and whack a big buck and then I exactly. get to leave and don't come back for 20 years and you guys are the residents that have to, you know, those are, in essence, those are your deer and, you know, that's your livelihood and that's the deer that you guys love, that's your home. Definitely. So I see both sides. It's hard for me as a non-resident you know, spending as much time as I do up there in the summer, realizing that, you know, you guys, mule deer, right, you're, you know, you've grown up with them your whole life, and it's hard for you to see them just absolutely get pummeled out there. Um, yeah. Not only that, and here I am getting on a rant, but not only <laughs> that, but it seems though as though Colorado has killed the gold, golden goose as far as the elk. I mean, Colorado was always known for their elk hunting, and, you know, still known for their elk hunting, but the reality is that herd, in my opinion, the hunting conditions, the quality of the hunt, the experience has dramatically decreased. Dramatic. Now, and, and Colorado is known for big, beautiful, giant mule deer. It's known as probably one of the best mule deer states in the country, and a move like this could have lasting impact, lasting effects for a long, long time if you know, a bunch of big deer just get whacked out in the Gunnison Basin, all the different units. I mean, it's going to take years for them to rebound, you know, and then you throw in the fact that potentially could have a winter kill. You could have a double up. You could have your big bucks get whacked, and you could have winter kill and kill the rest of them, and that could be something that lasts decades. Yes, yeah, and we, I mean, we finally started to call back, you know, from that 07, 08, um, you know, we... We started to get back up there, but I know that our local office, they do not they do not want that reputation for the Gunnison Valley, but this is my philosophy. We will never outrun that reputation, ever. I mean, we are the Gunnison Basin, regardless of if we take our buck-to-dough ratio down to 20 bucks for 100 does, we will always have that reputation, and people will spend their points to come here because they've heard all these things, you know, and I... I Totally understand what you're saying, too. I mean, if you're a non-resident and you've got 14 points, it's like, of course you're going to take advantage of these late seasons. You know, I, I, I would do the same thing, but like you said, we have to live with it. We have to, we have to see the effects of um, what this is going to do when we fight tooth and nail all year long um, for our big deer. And, yeah, it's, it's just a, a never-ending battle, um, it feels like. We lose a lot of times, um, but we are really trying to work closely with our local office and, and you know, try and, try and change things to where it can work for everybody, including the people that live here, you know. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's an interesting thing going on. Obviously, the guys listening, uh, you understand that, you know, 
there's some very passionate passionate arguments on both sides uh, for sure and rightfully so. Um, let's talk about um, let's let's talk about Colorado in general. Um, I've covered a lot of different things on these episodes talking about Colorado, but one of the things that I didn't cover this year that we've covered in years past is in Colorado, you can actually apply for a preference point, but then apply as a second choice. There's actually some units that you can get a lot of second season tags and it not affect your, your preference point. And a lot of people don't know that and understand that, that you know, you're trying to build points, but you can still go hunting in Colorado. Can you explain how that works? Um, yeah, so you, it's, it's not like Arizona where they're going to run a couple of your choices. Um, your, your second choice will not cost you any points at all. Um, so you can put in what I do. I, I don't, I never put in for a preference point, you know, the, the code for a preference point. I just put in for a unit that I'm not going to draw. So let's say, you know, 44 or four season deer. I put that first choice. I don't get my point. Um, and then what I do is if you guys don't have, go on you should probably get it um but you can go on go hunt um look at your second choice options you know say i want 50 percent more public land um and kind of go through that if you don't have go hunt um check out the online stats for colorado parks and wildlife um you can just google cpw deer stats um and it'll pop up and it'll show you the 2019 draw recap um and you're going to want to click on that and you can look through there um, and see how many people put in for a second choice. So it'll say total choice one, people that put in, you know, first choice, total choice two. Um, and then you can look to see if those people that put in choice two actually drew the tag. Um, so if you see people are drawing, you know, maybe you've got a, only a 20% chance to draw a second season or second choice, you know, but you still got a chance at maybe one you want to put in for. Um, so really little part of that at how many people are putting in for um, those second choice tags and seeing how many of them are drawn. Um, but yeah, there, there's definitely good opportunity. I, I personally, that's, that's what I like to do. I like to bang my points um, and try and hunt as often as possible. I think that's our, our best tool as hunters. If you want to learn how to kill elk, you better go kill elk. Um, same goes for deer. So you, you know, you got to get that experience. So I'd say look for opportunity. Um, if you're going to want a really quality hunt and save those points because um, that's that's a year off your life. That's what I always tell people. You know, if you if you miss an application day, that's a year off your life that you're never going to get back. Um, so make sure you are gaining those points, but definitely a possibility to, to draw some second choice hunts. So look at those. Yeah, thank you. Um, let's continue talking about mule deer uh, in the Gunnison Basin. We want to talk about archery first. Uh, and in your opinion, what are some of the units that are, you know, better for archery hunting, um, you know, better archery hunt units there in the Gunnison Basin? Um, obviously, 55. Um, 55 has been, you know, notorious for a while. Uh, a lot of high country. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of, you know, big deer hunters that are chasing deer up there whenever they can. Um, and I kind of, I didn't write down the, the archery stats on that, um, but yeah, you're you're probably looking at five points as a resident, um, and probably about eight as a non-resident, um, maybe even more for for that 55 tag. That's typically one of the most popular ones because of the accessibility. Um, you can drive a lot of those timberline roads, um, and whereas other units in the Gunnison Basin are not. Um, 54, 66, you know, you're going to be at the mountain house backpack hunt um, for those type of deer. So 55 is usually a pretty popular one just because you can cover a lot of country um, and see a lot of deer. Um, but like I said, you know, it, it's, I, in my opinion, I I think a lot of the top end actually gets killed. Archie Muggleletter, um, you know, I think a lot of top ends do get killed in third and fourth season. But I'd say a lot more get killed early season just because they're visible. Um, and that right. doesn't mean that everybody's going to go out there and shoot a buck and they draw a tag. I, I had my first archery deer tag this year, and it was amazingly frustrating. I mean, I, I, 
I loved every second of it, but, well, I should take that back. Maybe not every second, but um, <laughs> I, I did really, really enjoy that. Um, so, yeah, I, I will, but, I, I mean, I blew a lot of stocks. I blew a lot of stocks on the same year, um, and it's, you know, they're, they're evading lions and people all year long, so to outsmart a back with your bow is definitely a feat for me. I mean, that was that was uh, a dream of mine, and I'm, I'm glad that I made it happen, but, yeah, it's, it's not a not a shoe in by any means, um, but yeah, I'd say fifty five is definitely a good popular unit with a lot of high country. And then, as you move into muzzleloader, I would probably bet that you're going to say that those muzzleloader hunts are are pretty parallel with the archery. But then, as we get into the you know second, third, and fourth season. Uh, some of those unit dynamics change. I was talking a little bit about that with Brady on the podcast, Brady Van Sickle, about how some uh, great uh, high country archery hunts, you know, September in September, and, and the muzzleloader hunt can be great, and then all of a sudden those same units. Forty-four is one of those examples where, yep, that's you know, it, it's it's not a great. I mean, it's not horrible, but it's not a great high country. Hunt, but it's a great late season other than the private land. You've got some of that in the Gunnison Basin as well. Yeah, and I'd say, I mean, it's just, it is so confusing. I'm, I'm learning more talking to that biologist, you know, looking at calling data and kind of seeing where the deer migrate, but they make huge migrations here in Gunnison. I mean, you're, you're looking at 25 to 30 miles, you know, no problem to their, to their wintering ground, so... Those deer are going to move. I mean, regardless, we had really, really rough conditions this year in the later seasons, but those deer will come out of the woodwork. Um, you know, even, even with the rough conditions, it shows more by the calendar than it does by the conditions. Um, definitely snow helps, um, but by the third day of fourth season, I started seeing bucks that I'd never seen before that just started popping out of the woodwork. Um, so I'd say the the thing about archery hunting is if you've got that timberline, you're able to scout and pick out a buck that you want. So third and fourth season hunts, they're more of a, you know, I, I just hope that by chance I see one because you can't, can't necessarily pattern those deer where they're going to make that migration route. So you're, you're kind of just driving around looking at new bucks um, and, and trying to find one, but you're not focused necessarily on one deer. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. Um, let's talk a little bit about elk. Um, your experience with OTC elk, uh, I'm sure being a resident, you probably hunt some of the, the um, limited entry units more, um, but I get tons of questions about people asking about, you know, what are some of the better OTC elk opportunities? Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I, like you said, I'm... I primarily hunt the Gunnison Basin for, for archery, which is um, it's going to be draw only, but a lot to the west of us that are pretty good OTC units. Um, I've spent some time over there deer hunting, hunting with friends. Um, I've never personally had a tag over there, but you're looking at 65, 63, 53, 62, 521, um, 65 is going to be back up to 66, kind of you know, towards Telluride, there's a lot of up to San Juan, um, a lot of really rugged high country there. Um, 62 is obviously backing up to 61, which is a phenomenal unit, um, and I think probably one of the better ones in the state. Um, and 63, 53, 521, they kind of all back up to the Gunnison Basin. Um, so you've got that high country on the backside of the Gunnison Basin. Um, so I'd say those are probably the units that, I know the best um, that I would definitely want to look at. Um, but yeah, that's that's you can. There is opportunities for over the counter in Colorado. I do believe um, in the near future we will be moving away from that. Um, so if I were you and you want to hunt over the counter in Colorado, put in, apply, make sure you get that point, buy a tag, and do it um, either this year or next year because I. I don't think the over-the-counter licenses are sustainable. Um, and I kind of heard Brady talk about the quality of the hunt, um, and that, that's kind of a hard one for me. We have over-the-counter second and third rifle elk in Gunnison. I will not draw a deer tag third or fourth season or second season, or no, 
second or third season in the Gunnison Basin in those over-the-counter units, which are 54, 55, and 551, because of the home quality. Um, not every. In, in other easy. words, you have so many people around that it yes. just you, you can't even go anywhere without someone being there. No, no, you're you're driving up a road and there's seven campers and and elk hanging in trees and yeah, they're not deer hunting, they're not taken away from your deer hunt, but they are, in my opinion, just the quality of the hunt. I mean, I, I want to go out and I want to have a good quality hunt. I don't want to be fighting for elbow room with people. Um, so I. I personally, I do not hunt over-the-counter rifle seasons, um, even with the deer tag, even though it's not over-the-counter, because a lot of times, too, you run into a guy, and, oh, yeah, you know, maybe I saw, saw a big buck, and I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, and tells me where it's at, and I go glass it up, and it's that 140-inch four-point, and I'm like, yeah, that's that's not quite what I'm looking for, so I actually, I have to really, uh, I, you, you want to, when people tell you that, you want to look at it, because you don't know if it's a 200 or not, you know, but I... I end up going on a lot of wild goose chases for bucks that I wouldn't even consider pulling the trigger on. So that's a, that's another tough thing. But yeah, the overall, I think archery you can get further away from people. Um, the rifle hunts once they start moving down to wintering grounds, you're going to get a high concentration of, of people and primarily out of state hunters. Did I hear you right in saying that you're hearing that they're going to do away with a lot of the OTC elk hunts? Yes, well, there, there's definitely been talk about it um, just because, like that. And they, they may do, maybe the first transition would be over-the-counter with caps, um, which I think is necessary. And, and we talked about that with them and just said, you know, we, you've got to cap this because it's, it's ruining, when, I, when I'm guiding deer hunts, it's ruining the quality of their hunt. Um, it's ruining the quality of my experience. And then on a year like last year, when you get on that early snow, I'm, I'm guiding elk hunts, um, was that last year or the year before? Anyways, I'm guiding in, in 14 inches of snow first season, and it just kept coming and kept coming. So by second and third season, those elk were down in the sagebrush, um, and it was pretty horrific to watch as, you know, people are lobbing shots at, at herds and, and wounding elk. And they, so it, it was not, um, they got whacked that year, and we, we cut the elk tags pretty severely this year, but, we didn't cut the over-the-counter. There's no caps on it at all. So you, you cut archery, muzzleloader, first season and fourth season, but you leave second and third season with everybody and their mom coming out of here to hunt. You know, and that, you, you can't do that either. That's, that's not going to make up for anything if you're just going to cut a portion of the tags. If you want to bring the elk back, you've got to cap it. I remember years ago when they went to um, limited draw, you know, a lot of the small towns freaked out, you know, the hotels and restaurants and the different businesses because of so much impact that the OTC hunters had, they were freaked out that it would be turned into a draw. I think a lot of that, and you guys are business owners right there, you can kind of speak to that, um, that actually I think a lot of it, and this, I'm just speaking out my butt here, but uh, it didn't actually come true that they actually still had plenty of business with the with the limited draw as opposed to just over the counter. Is that true? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, my, and it's funny because my dad was one of the they they had an outfitting business in '66 and '67. So when they talked about going limited draw, they were like, "No, you know, this is our this is our bread and butter." And now looking back, obviously, my dad is glad they did it. Um, the quality of the bulls is increased tremendously um so i and yeah we we see i think Denison. i hope this whole coronavirus deal you know doesn't doesn't mess up the tourism industry too bad i mean i know it will but hopefully not for long um but yeah but i'd say businesses in Gunnison have probably had the best summer they've ever had this past year i think it was economy's good everybody's traveling everybody's buying stuff um so no i don't i don't think the hotels are full i think that the the places in Gunnison, even with uh, the limited entry hunts are are still getting quite a bit of business. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, you you mentioned something there that we had actually talked about before the podcast started about the coronavirus. And last night, actually, the governor of your state, uh, Polis, uh, actually issued a stay-at-home, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but a stay-at-home uh, feel where order. you guys actually, uh, an order where you actually are ordered to stay in your home and I ask you, um, you know, Connor, do you actually know someone with coronavirus? And why don't you tell us what you said? 
Um, yeah, we're so we got about five thousand people in the town. Probably about another three thousand up in Crested View, which is you know part of the Gunnis Valley. It's north of us, um, but it, it started here. Someone came back from traveling um, and brought it to Crested Butte. Um, the problem with this whole virus is the ten-day incubation period. You know, so you're you're passing passing the germs to a lot of people before you even are symptomatic at all. Um, so it ended up traveling from Crestview View down to Gunnison, um, and now we're we're kind of in the, the hot zone here um, where we have, I think, 70, 70 confirmed cases um, and then about 500 and something um, online diagnosed that they get on, you know, reported as symptomatic is what they call it. Um, so we've got a lot of people here. Um, I got a friend of mine who's he's a couple years older than me, so, you know, probably early 30s. Um, and he's actually, he was sent to Grand Junction um, to get some help, get, get put on a ventilator because um, it's, it's affecting him pretty bad, you know, and it hits people differently. There's, there's people that'll say, oh, yeah, you know, I, I had it and it was not enjoyable, but it was like a flu or like a cold. And then there's, there's other people, I mean, even if you're healthy, that it can affect you. So I, it's, uh, it's a scary time here. Um, everybody's, you know, closed up shop. We've been a lot of places in town we're doing, you know, curbside pickup, even Gene Taylor's where I buy my flies and all my outdoor gear um, is I, you know, walk up to the door, say, hey, I need these flies, and they get them and bring them to me. So there's a lot of businesses in town that were, that were still trying to conduct some business, but now with this new order, um, it's going to be only the grocery stores, hardware stores, um, auto parts, auto repair, stuff like that that's going to be left open. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a serious deal. I, I was kind of a doubter at first, um, and then I, I started seeing it firsthand, and it's, it's definitely changed my opinion. I've got an 82-year-old grandma that lives here, and I told her two weeks ago, lock yourself in your house and don't come out. We'll just you know bring anything you need. So she's going on walks and being at the house. But yeah, we definitely got to got to be considerate of others through this this whole thing you know i could be a i could be a carrier so i just try to not contact people just in case i am carrying it i don't want to i don't want to spread this any more than we have to yeah for sure man it's uh you know for it to come and hit such a small community you know of five thousand and three thousand up in crested eight thousand people and you know have 60 confirmed cases i think you said um, which the reality is if that's 60 firm, that's got to mean there's a couple hundred that have been infected and they don't even know it. But it just goes to show how, you know, Aspen had an outbreak. It's just interesting how some of these people flew back to, you know, these areas and then all of a sudden it just trickles down. And it, it's crazy because, you know, there's, there's people that say, I had it and I didn't even feel any symptoms. And then mm -hmm. you've got a situation like where your buddy um, you know, his girlfriend had it and it, it was, you know, kind of, you know, not great, but then, but it wasn't the end of the world. And then you're, you know, he gets it and he's a strapping young guy in good shape and, you know, they have to fly him to Denver and put him on a respirator. Um, yeah. so, you know, it, it can definitely, uh, hit anybody and, uh, we all, that's why it's important to follow the guidelines and, um, you know, and, and and just do what we're told and stay in, and it can be serious for sure. So definitely, um, yeah. I mean, it's not enjoyable for for any of us. You know, I'd rather be conducting business and and making money, but it's uh, it's it's pretty fast. I mean, I, we have not reached the peak yet, um, okay. so it's like we we really have to we have to follow the guidelines until we reach that peak. You know, and not overwhelm everything. Sorry for the little break there, guys. Uh, my little attack, my little seven-pound attack dog uh, was barking at someone in the backyard. But uh, uh, one of the things uh, that I want to talk to you also about is limited entry elk. Um, you know, we hear so much about 61 and 76 and 201 and Unit 2 and Unit 10. Um, do you know much about Unit 40? Because I've gotten a couple questions about Unit 40. I know there's quite a bit of private land, uh, but I don't, I've never been in it. So I, do you know anything about 40? Yeah, actually, my, my dad had a 40 tag, um, the Ranching for Wildlife tag, about probably five or six years ago. Um, so for you, those of you that don't know, Ranching for Wildlife um, are privately owned ranches um, that they go into contract with the CPW. 
allow, you know, one to two hunters a year on it, maybe some cow hunters. Um, but he actually knew that side with probably, I think, 17, 17 points. Um, so we went down there, and it was phenomenal. I mean, it's, uh, but once again, we're on a private ranch. Um, but it was, it, there was a lot of bulls. I mean, we, we saw one bull, you know, that was maybe 350, 340, 350, um, that we couldn't get on. That was the best bull we saw the whole time. But we were on, um, the, the third, so they have three ranches and 40 that are eligible for ranching for wildlife. Two of them are 20,000, one of them is 9,000. Um, so we were on the 9,000 acre ranch. Um, but overall, hunt quality was, was phenomenal. I mean, the first morning, there's there's about four inches of snow on the ground, and probably no kidding, 25, 30 bulls across the canyon from us, um, just screaming at the top of their lungs. They they truly act like elk, and I'm sure you get to see it at the the hot six ranch. You know, when it when when that pressure kind of comes off, um, they're really able to be elk, um, and really you know they they're not scared to be vocal. Um, so that was. That was a pretty awesome hunt. Um, it's it's a lot like 61 from what I've heard. You're kind of, you know, hunting on mesas, um, aspen-covered mesas. Um, but I, my brother's actually, were, he can't come this year that he's going to draw um, a first-season unit 40 tag. Um, so we may go over there. Turkey hunt uh, here in a couple weeks, I guess, just to see. See what it's like over there. See what the public's like, because um, I know the public is very limited. I mean, there was definitely chunks that backed up to the ranch, but um, it was it was few and far between. So I think forty can be a great unit um, once you get those bulls a little stupid and rutted up. You know, they may end up coming off that private. So, but then again, you're going to be competing with the hunters that are doing the same thing. It's well known that there's big bulls on those ranches. So you you may be, you know, running into people hunting the fence lines as well. And that that is a problem in itself even here in the Gunnison Basin when you're when when you're hunting the private boundary, all you're doing is, is keeping those elk pretty much on the private. Um, you're kinda deterring them from coming on that public because they know the little green men are out there chasing them. Um, so I think I think forty is a great unit. Um, I think it's just a little tough. I bet. I bet it's probably fifty percent public land or less. Um, not sure on that one. Johan, I'll tell you though. Um, but yeah, that's. I I have hunted forty and I did really enjoy it. Um, but once again, that's kind of a different hunt. You know, that ranch for wildlife. Yeah, and I can speak a little bit about the ranching for wildlife. Uh, the Ot Six Ranch, um, where I spend uh, September and October, is in the ranching for wildlife, and it's a program where, just like Connor says. Uh, how it works is these private landowners are able to allow public hunting on the property and for doing so they're given landowner tags uh, and so it's a good trade-off on, on you know there's people that don't like it and think that the public's be getting taken advantage of and, and this that and the other but the reality is from my perspective I've seen both sides reality is it opens up a ranch that would never be open to the public so Definitely. You, you know the public the, the people that I've heard that don't like it are saying, well, you know, we only get one or two tags. How is that fair when they, you know, well, you, you wouldn't get any tags if they wouldn't open it up to ranching for wildlife. So, um, you know, I think it is a good program overall. Um, I think it does give the public access to properties that they would absolutely never have the chance to hunt. Um, so, and, and in the regulations themselves, there are, there is a ranching for wildlife section and you can actually go in there and see which ranches are available. Now, to be clear, that's only available to Colorado residents. So anyone listening that is a non-resident to the state of Colorado, you understand that that program is only for residents. Um, and you know, they offer them for turkey, they offer them for bear, uh, mule deer, antelope, basically all of the animals. Um, have the ability to offer for ranching for wildlife in the state of Colorado. So it's a, it's a pretty neat program. Okay, so we've covered uh, a, a bunch of ground here. Um, specifically, you talk about Unit 40 um, and you mentioned 61. Have you spent much time in 61? Because I know... I have not. Okay, and what about not, 76? Not near enough. 
Um, 76, I definitely spent quite a bit of time. I mean, that's, that's pretty close to us. Um, so I have spent, my dad had a tag there as well. I had somebody that had archery tags. Um, I've hunted around it and I was banking my points to draw that archery. Um, but point creep's getting pretty bad these days. Um, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of at the point where I'm ready to blow my points and, and start on, you know, every, every couple of years, and I have been able to with that second choice like you're talking about. Um, but I, I just don't know if I can, I can wait that long. I'm at, I'm at six now, I believe, going into this, this draw. And, you know, usually, in the past, you were able to kind of draw at that point seven, um, but I think by the time I catch it, it will be at nine or ten. Um, and I'm not, I would love to go on and get Bohan down there, but I'm not, I'm not a, bow hunter that says I'm a bow hunter and I only bow hunt. Um, if you give me a, a steamer or a shotgun or whatever you tell me I have to hunt with, I will hunt with that in the unit. So I'm kind of looking at some rifle tags um, to get my points into just so I can start hunting every other couple of years in decent units, you know, with chances at good bulls. But 76, um, the opportunity is great. I my When my dad had his tag down there, we were probably calling in you know, 10 to 12 bulls a day, um, and granted, they were all in that 250 to 280 class, awesome, 300, 320s, um, but for opportunity's sake, there is a lot of six-point elk in 76. Yeah, for sure. Um, Connor, I want to talk a little bit about Trader's Rendezvous. Um, you, you, you and your dad, you have that shop right there in Gunnison, and I just encourage anyone passing through Gunnison Actually, anybody passing through that area, make sure you stop in Gunnison. Make sure you put Gunnison as a place that you want to go uh, and check out this summer and go in there and say hi to Connor and his dad. Um, just an unbelievable display of antlers. Talk a little bit about what you guys actually do there. Okay, yeah, so we've been, um, we've been in business since 1988. Um, my dad started it. He actually bought a pawn shop from my grandfather, um, and it was a, your typical pawn shop, you know, bikes and, and whatever else, and he had always collected antlers. They weren't worth anything, but, you know, he'd ride around and collect antlers. He kind of started with a little pile of antlers in the store, um, and then a guy by the name of Don Schaffler, um, he's a big antler buyer. His, his son took over for him. His name's Tony, um, but he actually came through Gunnison, one of the, and he bought my dad's pile of antlers that was sitting out in the front yard for, you know, 25, 50 cents a pound. And he just thought that was something great. So he kind of realized there was a market for that, um, started buying a lot of antlers and mounts. Um, so we've got over 500 game mounts from all across the world. We've got Marco Polo, Argelli, um, Nile Crocodile, uh, five, six African lions, and a huge wall full of muleys over 200 inches, elk over 400 inches. Um, so we we buy and sell mounts, skulls, antlers, um, chandeliers, collectible, Winchester, sharps rifles, handcrafted knives, art, stuff like that. So that's that's what we're doing now. So my dad kind of found a niche for, you know, his business and been in business for 32 years. And, yeah, so... Everything's going good, but definitely it's, it's worth seeing. If you guys stop by, it's, it's, you'll see the antlers out front, and you'll be like, wow, that's a lot of antlers. Just wait until you get inside because it is uh, – we, we take it for granted seeing it every day. We always joke about how we're terrible buck hunters because we have to look at 200-inch deer every day, and then we get out in the field, and it's like nothing really <laughs> tickles us now. <laughs> it's a complete yeah. letdown when you go outside. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, when it, when when you see a one seventy five buck, and you're like, oh, that's a pretty good buck. You're like, what am I doing? That time yeah. changed in Gunnison. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you also have at Colorado Antlers, you've actually also started a a lifestyle type brand where you're selling hats and t-shirts and sweatshirts and hoodies and all kinds of stuff. Tell me about that. Yep. Um, yeah, so I, I actually started kind of doing that in college. Um, I, I never, I got a business degree in college, um, but I never had any graphic design experience at all, but I kind of taught myself. Um, my dad was using a, a stock logo forever, you know, just uh, okay, situated out of his gun in Colorado, and I, our website's always been Colorado Antlers, um, so I said, 
you know what, I'm going to make you a new logo as soon as that. It's seven-point elk shed. We call it the Lucky Seven. That's in my dad's house. Um, it's actually got the Colorado flag in it, USA, Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, um, all the western states. Um, and so we sell hats, stickers, you know, sweatshirts, T-shirts, like you said. Um, those are all sold in the shop as well. You can order those online. And I'm actually working on, um, I started another Instagram um, that's actually Trader's Rendezvous, R-E-N-D-E-Z-B-O-U-S, um, and that's more of the products um, that we sell. So if you check that out, it shows the, the chandeliers, um, skulls, mounts, um, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, and so I'm working on an online store for that. That's the only benefit to this whole coronavirus deal is I've had time to kind of start going on that and setting up the infrastructure for the website. Um, so, yeah, check out both of those. But, yeah, you can stop in, talk to me, get a hat, take home an owl crocodile if you want. <laughs> if if guys out there are looking to sell some antler, I mean, are you buying? Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. We're we're at we're at fourteen dollars a pound for brown elk right now. Um, we we the market is very volatile, um, and I don't know how this whole epidemic is going to affect the market. Um, but as of today, it's fourteen dollars a pound, and we'll kind of just play it by ear and see what happens. Um, but yeah, we're. We're buying antlers pretty much every day, all year. That's awesome, man. Well, it's always great having you on the podcast. Uh, congratulations on uh, being newly married and, and having a new baby. And um, I follow both you and your wife on Instagram, and it always makes me smile to see posts and usually stuff outside and hiking and fishing and hunting and doing all the stuff you guys do. So just keep up all the great work. and. Um, you're dang fortunate that your daughter's taken on the looks of your wife. Um, I know. <laughs> just, just praise, praise God that that, that yeah, happened. For real. She's beautiful like her mama and didn't get any of your looks at all. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Hopefully she can hunt like me, but I'm glad she looks like her mama. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's uh, great having you on, buddy. Thanks for sharing with us. I uh, really appreciate your insight and I encourage Anyone stopping in that Gunnison area, make sure you stop at Trader's Rendezvous. It's right off the main drag. You can't miss it. And um, I'll see you this summer, okay, buddy? Hopefully this. Uh, hopefully you'll come fishing with me and won't be scared that we're going to flip flip the boat. I will, yeah. I'll come fishing with you. I'll tell you, power now. Go it. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be wearing the biggest biggest life preserver ever known to man. <laughs> That's what yeah, you'll be wearing. Yeah, maybe a helmet, too. Okay. Yeah, a helmet. You'll show up with a helmet, yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right, all right man. Take, well, take care. Thanks a bunch for having me on. Have a good one. Stay all safe. right, buddy. All right, bye.